0: I am really excited to share this special—I guess you could say—very special um, uh, alternative type type of episode. Um, I am sharing with you audio from a conversation I had with Scott David Gordon, the host of the Austin Art Talk podcast. I was so excited when he reached out about um, chatting with me um, in regards to being an artist, being sensitive, and this podcast as well. Um, Scott David is from Austin. He's a photographer and art enthusiast, and he always finds the neatest and most diverse, interesting artists to talk to on his podcast. I've been supporting his podcast on Patreon for about a year now. um, After I met him at the Dell Children's Hospital Art of Giving fundraising event last year, he did a phenomenal interview with the art therapist over there, Elizabeth Henley, that I couldn't get enough of, and I was hooked. (laughs) He's very easy to talk to. He's um, really thought-provoking. If you love art and you love Austin, you should definitely give his um, podcast a follow. I'm going to leave a link to it in my um, notes below so that you can get more information there. And here's our
1: chat. Hey, Becca, thanks for being on my podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
1: And thanks for reminding me that you are one of my uh, supporters on Patreon. I really appreciate that.
0: I love your podcast. Um,
1: Thanks. Um, I actually, I love your podcast, too. It's so funny when I asked you to do this. (laughs) I didn't know you had just started your own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: was... That was how I even... I feel like I got to know you a little better because I had reached out to you a while back about, you know, how you do... Yeah, yeah, you
1: came um, over and I gave you a tutorial and you and Nora Levine.
0: Ah, yes. And that was really helpful, but it wasn't the right time. And it felt like this was the right time to launch it. And so I'm like three episodes in, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just listened to them and I really resonate with a lot that you... Said, and I definitely want to talk about that. It's called Secret Sauce. Uh, just so if anyone doesn't make it any further into this, they should definitely go check it out and subscribe and listen to it. Um, I really, I really love a lot of the things you have to say. Um, but at first, I just wanted to maybe uh, talk about who you are and your work. Um, you know, something you say on your website, you say your work aims to be a playful, bright, hopeful, interpretation of the world's whimsical and magical sides. And I really like what I think that's such a perfect statement. Cause when I look at your work, that's what I see.
0: Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because my work used to be um, back 15 or 20 years ago, pretty dark. I worked oh. only in black, only in black and white and gray. It was pretty gritty Um, and then I had the, yeah, it was very interesting. I think it was reflective of where I might've been, um, spiritually, intellectually. I'm not totally sure. Um, but I, I do know that as I got older and I started to make decisions that were in more of an alignment for what I wanted, I got happier and it felt really important to shift my style and the, the whimsical doodle swirl sort of foundation of my style is how I used to work in high school. And so I kind of returned to that and, and yeah, that's where I'm at today.
1: Is it like the classic story? Like so many people who end up as artists or don't that they kind of have this artistic bent growing up and then somehow it's squashed or sidelined or who knows what shame of some sort or not having support.
0: One hundred percent. I think for me, um, a lot of it was just wanting to be taken seriously in art school and wanting to um, sort of adhere to some of the classic principles I learned in a lot of my formal drawing and painting classes. And, you know, there weren't a lot of people saying that there was space in the art economy for, you know, swirls at the time. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I think there is now. I mean, I think we need more of that. I think yeah, so, New yeah. York is very, um, it's like very colorful and it has kind of, it's like black outlines filled in with color, typically, yeah. right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's funny.
0: I, no, I was just talking about this with someone the other day and it occurred to me that in some ways, um, my style is in, I think what I almost even need, like I don't have hmm. the best, I don't have the best boundaries in my like lived experience in my day-to-day life. I'm the the veil between me and the world is pretty thin. And so like, I get a lot of like enjoyment out of drawing these very rigid, solid, hmm. crisp ba- boundaries around my shapes with that. black oh, line. wow. Yeah. Oh, that's it's really pretty interesting. cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Literal I, that's, boundaries. That's, that's like, it's like diving pretty deep, but that, that it, yeah, yeah, it was something that I thought of, and I was like, oh, you know, that could be it.
1: <laughs> That's cool. It's like aspirational, maybe or
0: possibly. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, do you think the the struggle with boundaries has to be has to do with the sensitivity that you talk about <sighs> in your podcast?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I think for for me it does. I I just recorded another episode today, and I was. Um, Talking a little bit about how sensitivity is probably very different for everybody, but for me, um, there's definitely a connection to boundaries for sure. I just, I mean, but I think for a lot of artists, they tend to feel a lot, even if if boundaries isn't part of it, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you've done a lot of teaching, also. I kind of want to like dig into who you are before we go in off into a lot of these things that I I really want to talk about just to make sure people kind of get to know you a little better. Um, so you've done a lot of teaching. Tell me about that yeah. a little bit.
0: I so teaching. Oh my goodness. I <clears throat> started off in graphic design in my undergrad and, um, was, had this whole plan that I was going to become a designer I moved to New York city. And then one semester in, I was just drowning. I was miserable and I hated it. And um, hmm. my, my advisor suggested that I um, try out art education and I was, I balked at it at the time. I thought, Oh, you know, this is where you push all of the designers that can't hack it, you know, <laughs> but, but I, yeah. I did, I did enroll for an intro class in art education. And after the first, the first day I was like, Oh my gosh, this is where I want to be. I I feel like I felt like I felt more certain about that than I had about anything in my life up until that point. I I was like, "Oh, I'm put on the planet to be an art teacher. And I loved it. I, I loved it so much. And I, um, after school, I took a preschool position for a year and then I hopped into an elementary school teaching kindergarten through fourth grade art for five years. Wow. Um, and I was a teacher in Ohio. So we have to in Ohio, you have to um, get a graduate degree to renew your teaching license. And that was what brought me to Austin was to go to the University of Texas for my master's in education. That's a really quick synopsis of my teaching background right there.
1: Let's back up one second, just a little bit to um, was there one moment where you actually had that thought or that feeling like, wow, this is this is it for me? you know?
0: Yeah. The way I, you were
1: describing it, it just sounded so like,
0: yeah. Like it was a
1: moment. Was there a moment?
0: Yeah. Especially, yes, there was. I, I really, the program I was in, in my undergrad was really phenomenal in that we got lots of, um, site experience. I got to, so, and you know, I was like 19 and 20 years old and I got to teach in a correctional facility and in lots mm. of different schools and so I got a lot of field experience before I even graduated. And I just felt like I was a natural at it. Um, I love talking. <laughs> I could talk forever. Yeah. I love talking. I love art. Um, I'm pretty good at connecting with people. It just felt like this the space of a classroom was a place that all of my superpowers kind of came together. But I think a lot, of, a lot of public school teachers especially will tell you that um, the type of teaching experience you have in your undergrad is very different than when you actually get hired into Mm -hmm. a teaching position. There's so much more that I, I didn't have any framework or capacity for the, the, the admin and the, the, the uh, organization and the, just the grit, (laughs) the politics, the parent, all the things. Yeah. So My first year teaching, I felt like I got clotheslined a little bit, to be honest. Um, And that has a lot to do with sensitivity, too. Um, And it was part of an inspiration for the podcast was that in some ways, I just felt like I was too sensitive at the time to hack it as a teacher. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It created a lot of problems.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the story you tell uh, maybe in the podcast about trying to get that job at that restaurant and them saying, yeah, you're too sensitive, but it turned out just not to be the right place. I mean, you found another place where they totally embraced who you were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I, and in, in a school where there's lots of little tiny human energies and they all are just like, um, dealing with this massive array of things, um, for someone who's sensitive, it could be a little intense you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So you're, I want to talk about your website a little bit. So your website is hosted by Shopify. So it's kind of like a, a shop. It's a shop. Yes. In a way. And you have a lot of products on there. You have books, you have prints, um, coloring books, stickers, That's quite a business that you've built up, um, with this style of work that you have. In addition to, I think, doing commissions and all kinds of things, maybe just describe your approach to your business, how that's evolved and what, what it kind of looks like right now.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) my business could be sort of summed up by saying that er in the early years, I just didn't know. Um, I didn't know anything about business. And so I figured that I could just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what would stick. And I wasn't expecting for everything to stick. (laughs) And I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I ended up with this business model that was pretty unsustainable um, in the early years because I had these like very three defined revenue streams of doing freelance and doing murals and design work. I was self-publishing coloring books and doing coloring books for organizations also. And then I also had a a wholesale business selling products on my website, selling to retailers. And then I was teaching. So, Hmm. um, and I didn't realize because I, you know, I, I was a fish out of water being um, a teacher and an artist trying to figure out business. I didn't realize how unusual that is. Usually, people like pick one or maybe two things to do like that. Yeah. Um, and so it was pretty challenging until I finally had the um, courage to hire somebody <laughs> that, oh, wow. Okay. To, man- to manage that on my own. But, um, that's probably the short story of how I ended up with such a diverse business. And in some ways, now I'm really grateful for that because obviously we're in this very unique economic time and I'm weathering it, I think, better than I would have if I had been more singularly focused. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty grateful for that. Yeah.
1: it's like having three or four legs on your stool or something. It's like yeah. if you lose one, yeah. it still, still stays standing. Exactly. Um, were, what, were there any resources in particular that you used to learn about business or was just like the School of Hard Knocks or what?
0: School of Hard Knocks. I think actually I've said this before, but I feel like school teachers that, that do it for a decent amount of time could start a business because being a hmm. school teacher is really similar to running a business only. Teachers are doing it all with like 30 kids in the room like okay. <laughs> running, running a business and, and being a school teacher, are very similar. Um, so, I, and I didn't realize that when I started out, but I, I pretty quickly discovered that all of the things that i would learned as a teacher really applied as far as like organizing my time, creating systems of management, um, finances, purchasing all that. Um, hmm. and then I just kind of, Um, patchwork together knowledge as I went, my husband is an engineer and he's really analytical and he's been indispensable in his wisdom with me. Like he's a huge part of how I, I navigated a lot of uncertainty, especially in the early years, um, and I also think I just was lucky to like. I really didn't have a clue how little I knew. In in certain ways, I, I knew a lot, but in other ways, I knew so little, and I just didn't realize it. And so the ignorance kind of made me brave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah,
1: yeah. You didn't know what the rules were, so you're just like, oh, okay, I'll just do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, tell me about Lemon House. What's that all about?
0: Lemon House is also this really organic, beautiful thing that just emerged seemingly on its own. Um, so Lemon House is a female maker collective. Um, there's three three of us. We have our workspaces there, but we also use it to have community events and backyard dinners and um, alley. Ali Lanyas of um, Stampworthy Goods is in most ways, I think, the brainchild of Lemon House. She came to me with this idea that she wanted to have a working space, um, but that she had just noticed that there was this sort of trend among working spaces, especially in Austin, where it suddenly became like really Instagramable and stressful and like everyone's looking for sponsors and everyone's trying to be seen. And there was a ton of pressure and she had this vision for a place that was completely no pressure that people could come and kick off their shoes and just be normal. And that there would be very little stress around, um, of of being seen and being seen in this polished, perfect way. And I Hmm. instantly fell in love with her for that because, um, You know, that was, that's weirdly something that's made me feel a little bit out of the art scene in Austin is that I, um, don't spend a whole lot of time on, um, a lot of those things. And so Lemon House has just become a place where, I mean, you can go on our Instagram now. We post very rarely. It's just like a very chill, lovely, um, studio space where it's kind of, it makes me think of Cheers. Like it's a place everyone wants to go and be themselves and, you know, Yeah.
1: But it, so you needed a place to go outside of your home to work. Is that, is that the point of it?
0: Yeah. For me, that Mm. was, for me, that was important. I think some people, especially some creative people, love working at home. Um, And I did too for maybe the first six months of doing it. Um, And then after a couple of years, I noticed I would like turn the corner onto our street for after I'd been out. And I would feel just like the butterflies in your stomach that you associate with work, you know? Hmm. And it, I realized, hmm. Oh man, like my home is not relaxing anymore. My home is like a stress place because it's where I do my work. And that was when I started to seriously look at other places. But I think it's just a personal decision, you know?
1: Yeah. And you guys are doing a, uh, something called, process over product series, you're going to have, potent, I guess, potentially depending on how the world goes, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, seven seven <laughs> artists teaching seven different types of media over seven months. That's uh, it's a pretty cool uh, idea. I think you were saying, I was reading that you were, it's really about just having fun and not worrying about the product, right?
0: Yeah, I, yes, I happen to know some amazing artists and teachers in Austin. And, um, so I curated this group of teachers that are really process focused in their own style and teaching. So the focus is on just, I mean, process based making sounds like really technical and fancy, but really it's how we all made stuff when we were four, like you don't make stuff when you're four to like sell it or to win an award or even to have people like it. You just love the feeling of paint on paper and that feeling quickly kind of goes away. Um, but it's not gone. It's just dormant. And so I want to do a series that kind of reactivated that dormant sort of very natural inclination that we all have when we're making stuff. Um, but we will see, like you said, there's uh, we've had to push back the April session and I'm hoping that may will kick it off. We'll see.
1: Yeah. How do you activate yeah. that for yourself? Cause I'm sure there's probably, do you feel pressure to be producing all the time or do you have commissions and all kinds of things?
0: That's such a good question. When do you yeah. play? <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, definitely started to burn out, um, last year and I had completely stopped making my own stuff. You were, you were right. I was not playing at all. I was just doing art for clients and, um, I happened to read the book rest, um, for mm. people feeling like they're grinding and it's unsustainable and they should check that book out. It was really fascinating. And one of the takeaways I took from that book was how many creative, um, influential people in history have, um, cultivated really like really special, um, creative mornings, like waking up at like 4am and, I decided in January of this year to start trying it, and I, I get up at five a.m. now. And from five to seven, I only work on what I want to work on. Wow! Um, and it's been pretty awesome. Like I was afraid I was going to have a hard time motivating myself to get up, and it's the easiest thing to wake up at five when you're super excited about it. And at that time of day, <laughs> at that time of day, nobody's bugging me. I. It's really nice. I So I've still, to, so to answer your question, I've started doing my own stuff again just this year. It's been pretty great.
1: Nice. Yeah. And what does that look like or how does it feel different than doing your other work? Because obviously uh, the, the, the main body of work that you do started from play of some sort, I'm assuming, right? I mean, it had to be. It was an experiment coming out of your previous style.
0: Yes, it really was. Um, I think spaciousness is really important for my creative process and I don't need spaciousness to do art for a client. But, um, you know, there's this like sort of idea in pre-enlightenment thinking with like the Greeks and Romans that artists weren't the vessel, right. That they didn't make stuff that they actually just brought stuff through them from another realm. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that idea. I don't know if everybody is down with that, but for me, um, the type of art that I find most rewarding is when there's a lot of space, um, energetic space. I don't even mean schedule space, but just like energetic space to like do whatever is going on in my brain. Um, and so when I started carving out this time, it was weird. I just suddenly started looking at the world again in in a way that wasn't about, oh, is this going to sell? <laughs> is this going to... Is it a
1: product? Or,
0: Yeah. Are people going to engage with this on Instagram? You know, um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was right. Is the client going to like this or yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in the middle of a series right now um, of drawings of big bend. that are pretty whimsical and I don't know if they'll sell and I don't care. I'm having a lot of fun with them. So
1: sweet. Yeah. So this idea of like, maybe elaborate a little bit more on that idea of like being a conduit or somehow kind of like funneling some energy or inspiration from somewhere else I mean how deeply have you thought into like the physics of that or the spirituality of that you know
0: yeah you know there's like I mean if you ask artists, I think all of them have experiences with it. Um, I have some stories that I've told on my Instagram about brushing up against something that just feels downright supernatural. Um, I tell this story about doing a commission when I was a school teacher. Um, one of my colleagues, she was a first grade teacher and her father had just passed away and she was, you know, kind of sad because he passed away before she could get any photos with him and her two kids. Mm. And so she had asked if like I could, um, my style was very realistic at the time. And she asked if I could, you know, reproduce a drawing of the three of them together. And so, yeah, I was like 25 or 26 at the time I was living in this little attic apartment in Akron, Ohio. And I was working on this thing one night and, and I spent like 15 minutes trying to get his eyes just right. You know? And all of a sudden, just felt very strongly that he was there, that he hmm. was he was with he was with me, and I never had ever had experience like that before. Um, people wow. will tell you I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty hippie, you know, in some ways, but um, it was definitely not something that I was expecting to happen. And I, I remember kind of like setting my pencil down and just saying, if, "If you're here," like I said this in my head, but you know, I was like, "If you're here, maybe you could give me a sign so that I know," and. And, and it was bizarre. I had this picture of pennies just like pop into my head. And I was so overwhelmed by the whole thing. I had to stop drawing for the night and I ended up going yeah. in the next. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I went in the next day and I muscled up the courage to, to tell the teacher, um, you know, this thing happened and, um, and she started to cry and she said, Oh, you won't believe this, but, um, My dad used to keep a penny jar by the front door when I was a kid because I didn't like telling him when I was upset. And um, every time I was upset, I would just stick a penny in the jar and then he would know to come find me and talk to me. And she's like, so I'm certain. Yeah, it would." So I mean, you can look at that story a million different ways. A skeptic might say there's a ton of explanations for that. But I'm not really interested in convincing people. I just know what my experience is. And I think a lot of artists have similar stories to that, you know?
1: Yeah, that's cool. When you were telling me that, the hair on my neck stood up a little bit. It was like, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) 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 But that, I
0: I mean, that idea, like people that read fantasy fiction and stuff have heard, like um, the Greeks called it a daemon, you know, Mm -hmm. and and artists, artists in ancient Greek talked very openly about the relationship they had with their daemon, that it was like an intimate relationship where they their, their daemon helped them make their work. And so um this idea that there's some spiritual help making things isn't new. It's very it's very old and, and pretty beautiful, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think that I have some help or someone's looking out for me or pushing things along if I'm open to yeah. it. That sounds nice. Yeah. I could use yeah. that. So I guess this time you're taking in the morning would potentially answer a question that I got from somewhere when I was reading about you. What would you do if no one paid you? I guess that's, you would draw, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would. I I would do so many things, but drawing is definitely one of them. I i have never, um, I've always had a hard time like focusing, <laughs> coming up with things to do has never been a challenge for me, but drawing yeah. is definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of having a creative practice every day and it's something that I haven't allowed myself to do quite yet, but, uh, it's definitely something I think that would be very valuable to have a little bit of creativity every day. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, another question that I think I pulled out of, uh, it was probably your website or your blog. What can we authentically bring forward? Does that sound familiar? Uh, Maybe elaborate on that.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm very intrigued by that question right now because, um, I've, I think I've gotten to a place in my life where I feel confident enough in my business and my work to start to share the things that I really want to share. Um, the things that if somebody didn't like them, I'd be sad. Like, uh, it was easy to put the coloring books and the stickers and the prints into the world um, because I wasn't, you know, concerned about how they were received. But there are things that I've started doing, like the podcast, that I do care, and I feel like when you're doing something that's really in alignment with what you're here to authentically create, there's de- definitely going to be a lot of fear and and nerves and concern, and so. To me, that question is just so like seductive to unpack for for everybody. Because um, if it were really easy to do, if it were really easy to be ourselves um, in this world, it, everyone would do it. Um, but but on the flip side, the cool thing is is that we're, it's not like we have to learn how to be authentic. Like we were all born as kids being really good at making only what we wanted to make. And so the process is kind of like remembering. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm tangenting a little bit, but it's a question that I'm still not sure about myself. So it's hard for me to even talk intelligently on it, I think in some ways.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of the biggest questions for me right now is trying to figure out how to be more authentic, um, and figure out what my life could look like um, if I was more authentic. Um, and definitely, it's, a, it's definitely something that I'm focused on a lot. Um, and I, th- I almost imagine that people could go their whole lives without really even getting that close to that. I don't know, you know? I, I think so. I,
0: I think so. I actually saw a James Baldwin passage today about that. And he was kind of, and I'm, I wouldn't be able to paraphrase it really well, but he was kind of saying we, we shouldn't even want everybody to try to do that. Like that, that's not, not Mm -hmm. even a thing that, and I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, but yeah, I don't know. Like we were talking about this a little bit earlier before the interview and I was thinking like, um, it's for me doing what other people wanted me to do, and prioritizing other people's vision for my life almost became invisible. I, you know, when you do something long enough as a kid, you don't even know you're doing it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's almost like this process of unlearning or something. Yeah. And
1: that's yeah, I, like, you, yeah.
0: no, no, go ahead. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> no, I think I'm definitely, I think we all, yeah, we're born uh, fairly pure. And then we get kind of, uh, skewed and then we have to kind of unlearn a lot of stuff. And, uh, I think that I especially now struggle a lot with being, I think, too focused on what people, how people perceive me and, and yeah, trying to figure out like, who am I really without trying to, um, appear to be good or, thoughtful or giving or a great guy or funny or a great interviewer or whatever, you know, it's like, I do feel like there is a level for me of effort put into creating who I am in the face of the world. But I really feel like it would be much more interesting if I could just not care and just really just be whoever I am. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure all that out.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm going to resist the urge to just like open a 20 cans of worms on that. There's so much to talk about in this, in this topic, but, um, (laughs) for, for me, it's such an adventure to like approach some of the questions that you were just positing. And I, I'm surprised more people don't, don't take it on, but you know, I don't, I think there's a lot of privilege attached to being able to take on some of those big life questions too. And, I'm grateful that I have been able to um, really like learn some pretty cool things um, in my life around being myself. Um, Cause I know not everyone is afforded that.
1: Yeah. Actually I just remembered there was one point in particular I was going to say about that is like, I think that I, I think that in a way I grew up feeling like, I wasn't okay. Just being myself, you know, you get a lot of messages potentially from people that uh, lead you to believe that you're not okay just being who you are. And so then you have to change or adapt or try to act a certain way to appease people. And, um, and then you, you, you find yourself as an adult continuing to do that because that's like a survival strategy or a pattern that you're in. um, but I really want to get into, I feel like we could talk the rest of the time about um, this whole thing about being sensitive because I feel like I'm I'm a sensitive person and, you know, I, I hadn't quite ever heard anybody talk about it the way you did, I think, in your second episode where you could actually reframe it as a strength instead of a liability and you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that because I feel like, especially for a man, uh, in a lot of relate and a lot of my romantic relationships, I feel like being too sensitive has been kind of a liability. I mean, I'm sure there's like, it's so complex to try to figure to parse all that apart. But, you know, I definitely feel like for men, it's hard to be, you know, try to balance being masculine with being sensitive. Like, men don't cry. And, you know, yeah. if you're a man, you don't want to be perceived as being sensitive or whatever, you know? Um, so I don't know. I've really, you know, I, I deal with that a lot too, but I I'd love to hear you elaborate. I mean, I want people to go listen to your podcast. And I think that I don't, we don't necessarily need to dive into everything you say on there, but I definitely would love to hear some of your thoughts.
0: I'm actually, I'm glad you brought up um, the differences for men. It's not something I've talked about on the podcast yet, but it's huge. Um, it's hugely different. And in some ways I've been fortunate enough to be a woman where it's a little more acceptable um, to be highly sensitive. I um, One thing I, I also haven't mentioned on the podcast that might be good to mention now for people that are listening and might be resonating with some of this is that, a book that I came across a couple years ago is called The Highly Sensitive Person. And it's, um, sh- HSP. Elena, HSP. Have you read this book? Yeah.
1: I haven't read the book that I've read about HSPs, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yes. It's HSPs literally. And I won't go into it if you're, if people are interested, they could check it out. But, One of the things that was kind of cool was that, you know, Elaine Aaron is a Harvard researcher that discovered that there's a physiological component to being sensitive that about 18% of the population has a a genetic variant that makes their depth of processing like three to five times more than, than the other 85% of people or or Hmm. that's not, that's not the right math, but close. Yeah. And, um, and the, the challenge is if you're in this minority, um, it's very likely that you had parents that weren't sensitive. And so your whole childhood, you felt weird and not because your parents even might've been bad. It's just because they had no idea how to relate to the way that you process things. And I bring that up in the context of this podcast because, um, and, and the conversation that you had about being a guy, because my, my parents, I think didn't, they are amazing people and I had such a great childhood, but they, I don't think totally knew how to relate to me. And when I met my now husband, Jason, um, he's really sensitive too. But the thing that was so fascinating about him and Elaine Aaron, the author of The Highly Sensitive Person talks about this. Um He, he was raised by two sensitive parents and he was huh. just so, he was, he's like, I'm sensitive. Like I don't even, he has no shame, no stress wrapped up in his sensitivity. And in some ways, therefore he doesn't because he's not pushed around by any negative feelings around his sensitivity, he just comes across as incredibly confident. And being in a relationship with him and then getting married to him really showed me that confidence and sensitivity um, can really exist together. Because prior to that, I just felt so victimized by by my sensitivity. And hmm. so it's been an interesting journey, to say the least.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, Maybe
1: elaborate a little bit more on this reframing as it turning it into kind of like a superpower or something, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was pretty, I was into my early thirties before I came across this idea from an artist friend of mine that sensitivity is not only a superpower, but it's something artists have to have to do their work. Um, And it was revolutionary for me to think that, that's how we like artists don't just make pretty things. They feel under the surface of the world and under the surface of people and places and environments, and they get lots of information there and they reflect on it and they create from it um, in service to others. And there's this very energetic, spiritual sort of soul work going on. Um, So, for me, I I suddenly had this new narrative, this new story about how sensitivity functioned. Um, because prior to that, it just felt like a a terrible weakness and something that I needed to fix and something that I needed to like overcome in my life. Um, yeah. So, uh,
1: like an impediment to relationships and, To to interacting with people in the world, like a total impediment, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so anyway, I I, I wanted to expound on that idea in the podcast because – and I I tell this story briefly in the second episode, but I think it's cool to share here that – Um, I got a chance to go home a couple years ago, and um, the youth group I was in as a kid, we opened this time capsule that I had made when I was 12 years old, and there was a recording inside of us talking about where we thought we would be in 25 years. And my husband was with me, and we were listening, and it really drove home just how far I've come that I was so so traumatized (laughs) by my sensitivity, and it was painful to even listen to 12-year-old me talk. And I, I think that was when I first started thinking, I want to share some of this stuff because I, I don't think I realized how far I'd come, um, from being that painfully sensitive to owning a business and feeling pretty great in my skin. And, um, so in some ways, secret sauce is about sharing the things that just really helped me in the past couple of decades. Um, because I felt everything pretty deeply and I think a lot of artists can relate to that. And when you feel a lot of things, it's really easy to just feel pushed around by it. You know?
1: Yeah. yeah. One of the things I picked up from your podcast, uh, that you were talking about is very similar to something that I've been thinking a lot about myself recently is just, and I'm even reading a book called awareness. It's just about having awareness. It's like, um, and in this book, Awareness, the guy talks about like, that's the key to enlightenment, essentially, is like paying attention to yourself, paying attention to your thoughts, paying attention to your communication, paying attention to other people's energy. And that made me think about what you said in your podcast about how you uh, are maybe more trusting of your intuition around people's energy, and it like never steers you wrong as far as like, avoiding situations where you're sensitive side might be more triggered or traumatized by some something happening or someone in someone in your sphere of influence, you know, maybe you could elaborate on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely started to, after I sort of was exposed to this idea that an artist sensitivity was on purpose and important, I also began to explore what it would be like to listen to, to the inklings that I had more often. And I quickly, I mean, it was shocking how quickly I discovered that, um, that my sensitivity was also a superpower in that I sort of got advanced understanding of a lot of things. I, um, started saying yes to working t- with clients just based on their first email, just like how it made me feel. And, have had the most glorious client relationships. Like so many freelance artists I know have really crazy nightmare stories and I've never had any nightmare stories. And I, maybe that's a coincidence. I, I don't know. Um, it's one example of many ways that I kind of use my intuition and feelings to navigate things. Um, and that was cool. It was, it was nice to have yet another reason to sort of, be glad to be sensitive because (laughs) there's plenty of downsides, as you know. Um, Yeah. But
1: what are some of those still, do you think?
0: The downsides? Yeah. Things that you
1: struggle with or on the other side of that, coping strategies that you've developed that you could share maybe that might be helpful. Yeah.
0: So I think a lot of my struggle I've learned over the years is that I just didn't have a whole lot of help. Like when you're young, you kind of get help from the culture with how to navigate your experience. And my experiences with sensitivity, I just didn't have a lot of help. And I um, that made me feel kind of crazy. So, and I was like thinking of this earlier when we were talking this example, but recently I, and I think this is a good example of how artists can kind of feel victimized by their sensitivity or not just artists, but just sensitive people in general. Um, yeah. but if, a few months ago, um, I was with my family and Jason and, um, visiting my aunt and I woke up one morning and I was having a really rough morning and she came into the room and she asked me what was wrong. My aunt and I told, I just like kind of vented about how I was having a hard morning and she got really uncomfortable And her lips got really tight and she didn't say a whole lot and she left the room. And Mm. I kind of just, I blew, I blew up about it. I was like, you know, and, um, I was like really upset. Like here I was on vacation and now I've upset my aunt and it, it was, I was feeling very unhinged and that kind of thing hasn't happened to me in a long time, but it's a really good example of how like my day-to-day interactions could get messed up when I was a kid. And, um, and she, she, I'll never forget, she came back in the room and my aunt is a psychologist. And so she looked at me and she said, How would you have liked me to respond to you? And I said, You know, you were just judging me and I, I was just trying to be honest with you about my morning. And she looked at me and she said, I wasn't judging you, I was judging myself. And you probably could feel it. And hmm. that, to me, that was like a really interesting example of how. I would pick up on things in my environment and then I wouldn't know how to process them. And so I would make, I would make it about myself. Like clearly there's something wrong with me. Clearly she's upset with me. And so the last couple of decades I've started to unpack every and, and question everything that I think um, and hmm. feel. And that's helped me from feeling so incredibly it's, it's been grounding because, you know, it would be very confusing. I don't know if people listening can relate to this, but it'd be confusing to be feeling really good and then suddenly go into a room and just feel really stressed. And I didn't know why, or feel really sad. And I didn't know why. Um, and, um, that kind having some sort of stories around what's going on, um, has also then given me the ability to, um, detach from whatever I'm feeling. Oh, that's not me. Um, there's there's that idea in yoga even that thoughts are just clouds and you just let them go. And um, I've started doing that with with the feelings that I get. And I'm making it sound so simple. I mean, this is something I've been kind of playing with for like 15 years. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say detachment.
1: Um, I feel like that's how I, I'm starting to practice that as detachment. It's just like... Uh, I think detachment along with meditation, kind of like, you know, I've been meditating a lot more consistently, so I feel like that tunes you into yourself a little better. And then, like, I'll have something, something will happen, and I'll be kind of upset about it, or I'll be reacting in some way. And and then a lot faster than I ever used to be able to, I would just, like, stop for a second, okay. And then I would just kind of, like, almost, like, you know, rise up to the ceiling in my mind and look down and be like okay what uh, what exactly is going on here oh okay I see what's going on I, I this happened and then this happened and then that triggered that and that's because of that and and I still might be a little agitated but it doesn't go on for hours or days you know like it used to okay, <laughs> there's no spiral yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah and I think that, that- you were oh yeah go ahead
0: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that it's, it's cool or important to note too, that um, detaching doesn't mean not feeling. I'm just as sensitive now as I was when I was 12. I just don't, I just don't um, identify with the stuff that I think feel anymore. But feeling is is important. I I would never want to stop feeling. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not the kind of detachment, the unhealthy type of detachment that's like where you're just like, stuffing things down and not dealing with them you're actually (laughs) just looking at them in a very realistic pragmatic way yeah and kind of actually avoiding spinning off a bunch of stories like isn't that something you were talking about in your podcast about stories about the stories we make up or about things I mean yeah I mean you had this story in your mind about your aunt being mad at you and it's, it, I mean, it's just so classic. It's like, we're not the center of the universe either. <laughs> you know, know that's... That you have to keep in mind, like everything isn't about us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. And actually, I think that's, it can be really, when you're sensitive and when you're an artist, it's really easy to fall into that space of thinking it's all about you for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about what, well, actually you, you, you haven't shared what you call your term is for, what is that? What's the, uh, the letters?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, so the second, third and fourth episodes of secret sauce are, are entitled we're artists or SAF, which stands for sensitive as fuck. Um, yeah. and that came <laughs> <laughs> that, that sort of, Oh, acronym came from, from an artist friend of mine. Yeah, it's it's great. I love it. And I love the the power behind it. That being sensitive is really cool. It's a really cool thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you tell that story in your podcast about some kind of a punk band and they were like all proud of being sensitive or something.
0: Yeah. I actually saw an interview with Beyonce the other day where she she was like, I'm all up in my feelings, don't fuck with me or something. Um and it was and she was doing the same thing. She's like, I, I feel a lot about my art. Don't fuck with me. And, um, I don't know. I think that, and this is a theme of secret sauce too. I think that if people are going to bring forward like, like soul work, like the work that they're put here to, to bring forth, um, they kind of they have to come from that place of power of of really being cool with being sensitive, and that's hard because it is sensitivity is still viewed as a pejorative in our culture. It's viewed as something that's a weakness. Um, but I think a lot of really awesome artists have kind of, have kind of negotiated a new story. And I love story because story to me is really creative and it's an art tool for the, for the ways that we create our lives. And if we tell new stories, we can have a new life um, which is why most of the podcasts are episodes are stories because I really didn't want to come across as preachy, or giving advice. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, you're really clear about that. Yeah, that's, that's the thing about stories that uh, I was thinking about, too, that you might have mentioned, is these stories that we have about ourselves. Like, I'm a sensitive person, so that makes me weak. And, all you know, or whatever it is, I'm this way, I'm that way. This is the story about my life or who I am. And they're so limiting, those stories, a lot of times, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and also, and off, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, also sometimes invisible. Like we don't even know we're telling them until something interrupts the story, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've been, I've, I had this thought recently about this time. I mean, if you were a person who during this, time of slowness and quarantine and everything has space, um, to go inside and contemplate and work on yourself and read and write and do all the things that I've been trying to do. Like, I don't see any reason why I almost feel like this is like this whole situation is an invitation and a luxury. It's a luxury, but it's an invitation for some people, but it's an invitation to reinvent yourself if you want. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like I'm trying to feel more optimistic about it. And I just feel like any way that you are that isn't working for you or any way that you want to be or anything that you want to learn, like you could emerge out of this on the other side and no one would question it. No one would blink. They'd be happy for you. You know, you could like create whatever you want.
0: Yeah. I 100% agree with you and I was I was talking about that in the episode I recorded today a little bit so it'll be coming soon stay tuned for people <laughs> that are listening yeah. um but it's um to, I talk a lot about interruption and we're in a massive interruption right now and it's it's painful it's it sucks for a lot of people but business as usual has screeched to a halt and like you're saying there's all of this space to make new stuff. And you're totally right. Like nobody is going to blink an eye. If people emerged from the other side of this completely changed and different, I think it would be weird if, if people didn't um, create, create something new during this time. Um, And it doesn't have to be like, you know, like classically like a novel or something. It doesn't have to be a whole overhaul of your personality. It could just be something really small. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. And I am intrigued by how that kind of interruption even functions for artists. Like street art is, is an interruption for me. Like in the monotony of my drive, all of a sudden there's this beautiful painting on the side of a building. And for a second it just snaps me out of the zone and, so I think we're in a really large snap out of the zone right now. We'll see what happens, but
1: <laughs> yeah. How do you How do you feel about the future, your future right now, or what do you see? What do you feel optimistic about?
0: I feel really optimistic. I was just telling a friend this before I got on this call with you that I've I've been reluctant to tell people how good I feel right now um, because I know how many people are really struggling. Um, and I was reflecting on it a little bit and I think that there's definitely an element of privilege, but also I've really, um, in some ways it feels like the world is (laughs) experiencing life as I see it, um, all the time. Like I, you know, I have a very intro, I have a very introverted life. I, um, don't have kids. This was all intentional. I, (laughs) um, I have a a life with a lot of space for a reason. And, um, so I've been navigating this time really well. And, um, it's the first time, honestly, in my whole, I'm going to be 40 in July. It's the first time that I've ever in all those years really felt like I could like fit with the world like i like this quarantine weirdly feels natural and i i i feel like that's a very limiting thing to say but um and i don't mean natural out in everyday life but but here social distancing in the house um with all of my business as usual grinding to a halt like my wholesale business is pretty much you know stopped Uh, i just i'm loving it i um and I know it's not going to be that way forever. Um, but I, I love, I I know I'm tangenting, but I was just like really, really reflecting on this earlier of how nice it is to go out and have people be so desperate for communication that they smile like perfect strangers smile at you. (laughs) And, um, everybody is slowing down and everybody is, has to chill out. And, the roads are clear and the parks are full of people like in some ways the world has gotten crazier. And in other ways, the world is so awesome <laughs> for a sensitive person. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I have to say on a side note, I've done a lot of podcasts. Well, not a lot, but a, a decent number to have a frame of reference and you're really easy to do podcasts with. And there's probably oh. something to be said about, yeah, like I don't know. I just other sensitive people are easy to to talk to, <laughs> <laughs> you know.
1: They're yeah, not gonna, not gonna just like barrel over you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or they're all about the the bottom line, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, anything else we could talk about? There was something I'd written down. Soul sick. I don't want to end on a dark note or something, but. Is that something you've talked about?
0: It doesn't have to be dark. It could be. I, I love the idea. I love the metaphor of artists as soul doctors. Um, I think doctors mm. are really respected in our culture, and they are especially right now. Um, people that can perform acts of healing the, the body are really revered. Um, and I've also I've often wondered and reflected on this idea that artists are doing the same thing, but for people's souls. Um, and because we're less clear on what soul work is and what the soul even does for us, honestly, sometimes that I think that's why artists have kind of gotten relegated to the bottom of the budgetary heap, you know, they're viewed as frosting. Um, but there, a culture without art would be a soul sick culture. Um, the health of a culture is often gauged by the art, the robustness of its arts. And so I I do talk about the idea of being soul sick um, and the ways that art has helped me navigate that. And, and the way that I hope my art helps other people navigate that too. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's this really beautiful story that the Boston Conservatory of Music director told about the day after 9-11 when he first stepped out of his apartment in Manhattan and he said, the first thing he heard was tons and tons and tons of music, people just out on the street singing and playing instruments. And he, and I, I think there's something to be said for people's first responses are to make things when they're, when they're really sad.
1: Yeah. yeah. As you were talking to, it made me think about, you know, how the arts and artists are kind of, sidelined a lot, but then we have these huge institutions dedicated to the products of artists, you know, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art or whatever, you know, I don't know. There's like a weird dichotomy there with like, kind of like revering certain artists or famous artists or certain types of art, but then like your next door neighbor that's an artist, like, oh, they're just kind of weird and sensitive or something, you know? (laughs) yeah
0: no I think there's definitely some interesting delineations when capitalism and and the market economy get involved Um, but you bring up an awesome point like I think more than than in other past eras the arts are very supported um, right now or at least relative to you know a hundred years ago but maybe that's I'm not a history major so maybe I'm wrong don't quote me on that
1: Yeah, I'm not either. So I won't uh, hold (laughs) you to that. Um, Maybe we could finish just, if you could just share a little bit um, about something that sounded really uplifting and positive to me is this mindfulness coloring book that you did. I mean, there was one in particular that I read about that it was just like some of the sample pages just seemed so, it was like educational, but it's about kind of raising children or adults awareness of just kind of like, um, a better way of being or thinking like maybe share about that.
0: That was, that was actually one of the coolest projects I've done in my career so far. Um, I got to partner with James Butler. He is a fascinating human. He works for Austin independent school district. He used to be a preschool teacher. Um, and he piloted a curriculum doing meditation with his kids. And it got, um, enough attention that he won teacher of the year, um, a few years back. And the superintendent reached out to him about making a position just for him to help teachers district-wide incorporate meditation into their classes, as well as the social emotional learning standards, um, which is sort of this educational model to help kids manage their feelings and talk about their feelings. And we got connected through a mutual friend and he, he expressed an interest to make a coloring book to go along with his curriculum. And so we worked on this sort of 75-page little mini pocket coloring book for kids. Um, and each page talks about a different um, social-emotional topic like compassion or... Um, courage, um, and it was really interesting to illustrate such abstract concepts, um, and also really fun. And it was this really neat opportunity to sort of meld together my teaching heart and my artist heart and my, my mindfulness heart. Wow! Um, so that, that book is available at free spirit publishing. If anyone listening to it goes to their website, they can pick up a copy.
1: Yeah, is there any are there any uh, specific uh, subjects or pages or phrases out of that book that kind of stand out that kind of like really resonated with you? Like part of this emotional uh as you were saying whatever the 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 name of the program is I was like thinking Mr. Rogers would be proud, right? That's <laughs> like uh, he he pioneered a lot of that, right?
0: He did. He's one of my heroes. Um it's so sweet that you brought that up. Um yeah, I I mean, there were pages,
1: and I remember images in the
0: book. Like, I remember...